Papism as the Oldest Protestantism by St. Eustine Popovich from his book, The Orthodox Church and Ecumenism. Before we hear from St. Eustine, it should be noted that what follows is not meant to be used to beat down and berate adherents to Catholicism. It is meant to solidify and clarify the truth in the hearts of men, both Orthodox and those outside of Orthodoxy, especially those inclined to adopt the papal claims. Whether Orthodox or not, applying the truth of what St. Eustine teaches requires great love and discernment. He frames his dogmatic analysis, saying, In writing this, we are not writing either the history of Europe, of its virtues and faults, or the history of the European pseudo-churches. We are simply setting forth the entirety of their ontology, penetrating to the heart of European conceit, its demonic underground, where its dark sources lie, and with whose waters it threatens to poison the world. This is no passing judgment on Europe, but a wholehearted and prayerful call to the only way to salvation, through repentance. In the European West, Christianity has gradually been transformed into humanism. The Theanthropos has, for a long time and with deliberate intention, been diminished, altered, and narrowed, until he was reduced to a man, an infallible man in Rome, and no less infallible men in London and Berlin. Papism was thus created, which robs Christ of everything, and Protestantism, which seeks very little, often nothing, of Christ. In both Papism and Protestantism, man has displaced the Theanthropos as the greatest value and the highest criterion. A sickly editing of the Theanthropos, his work and his teaching, was undertaken. Papism has determinedly and persistently worked at replacing the God-man by a man, until it has replaced him forever with the ephemeral infallible man, the dogma of papal infallibility. By this dogma, the Pope was clearly and decisively pronounced to be not only somewhat higher than a man, but also higher than the Holy Apostles, the Holy Fathers, and the Holy Ecumenical Councils. With such distancing from the Theanthropos, from the Universal Church as a Theanthropic organism, Papism has outdone Luther, the creator of Protestantism. In fact, the first radical protest in the name of humanism against Christ the God-man and his Theanthropic organism, the Church, can be traced to Papism, not Lutheranism. Papism is actually the first and earliest Protestantism. Make no mistake, Papism is the most radical Protestantism, for it has transferred the foundations of Christianity from the eternal God-man to ephemeral man. It has proclaimed this as its central dogma, as the highest truth, the highest value, the highest norm for all beings and things in all worlds. The Protestants only accepted the essence of this dogma, and worked it out to a fearsome extent and in fearsome detail. In fact, Protestantism is nothing other than generally applied papism, for in Protestantism every man individually lives out the main principle of papism. From the example of the infallible man in Rome, every Protestant is an infallible man, for he pretends to personal infallibility in matters of faith. It could be said that Protestantism is vulgarized papism, 
devoid of mysticism, authority, and power. The reduction of Christianity, with all its endless theanthropic truths, to man has turned Western Christianity into humanism. This may appear paradoxical, but its truth is upheld by its undeniable historical reality. Western Christianity has, in its essence, the most decided humanism, because it has pronounced man infallible and turned the religion of the Theanthropos into a humanistic religion. This is seen by the God-man's having been exiled to heaven, and a deputy appointed in his vacant place on earth, Vicarius Christi, the Pope. What tragic illogic! To appoint a deputy to Christ, our omnipresent God and Lord! But this illogic has become incarnated in Western Christianity. The church has been transformed into a state. The pope has become a ruler. The bishops have been proclaimed princes. Priests have become leaders of clerical parties. The faithful have been proclaimed papal subjects. And the gospel has been supplanted by the Vatican's Codex of Canon Law. Evangelical ethics and the methodology of love have been replaced by casuistics, Jesuitistics, and the Holy Inquisition. This means the systematic removal of all that does not submit to the Pope, even to forcible conversion to the Papist faith and the burning of sinners to the glory of the meek and gentle Lord Jesus. Without a doubt, all these facts lead to one inescapable and logical conclusion, that there is no church in the West, no Theanthropos, and there is, therefore, No real theanthropic society in which one man is an eternal and immortal brother to one another. Humanistic Christianity is, in fact, the most decisive protest against Christ the Theanthropos and all evangelical theanthropic values and criteria. This truth permeates the desire of European man that all should be reduced to man as the foundation of all values and criteria. Behind all this stands an idol human, all too human. By its reduction to humanism, Christianity was undoubtedly simplified, but was at the same time ruined. After the completion of this blending of Christianity with humanism, there are today, in scattered parts of Europe, calls for a return to Christ the Theanthropos. The calls of individuals in the Protestant world of back to Jesus are only cries in the darkness of humanistic Christianity, which has abandoned theanthropic values and criteria, and is now drowning in despair and impotence. From the depth of the ages, there echo the bitter words of the melancholic prophet of God, Jeremiah, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. In the broad historical perspective, Western dogma on the infallibility of man is nothing other than an attempt to revive and immortalize dying humanism. It is the final transformation and glorification of humanism. After the rationalist enlightenment of the 18th century and the short-sighted positivism of the 19th, European humanism was left with no alternative but to fall apart in its impotence and contradictions. But religious humanism came to the rescue at the critical moment with its dogma of the infallibility of man and saved Western Christian humanism from an ugly death. But, although it was now dogmatized, Western Christian humanism was unable not to retain in itself all the destructive contradictions of European humanism 
that unanimously aim to exile the Theanthropos from Earth to Heaven. The most important aspect of humanism is that man is of the highest worth and is the highest criterion. Man, not the Theanthropos. According to our Orthodox understanding, Christianity is Christianity through the God-man. It is his theanthropic ideology and methodology. This is a fundamental truth that cannot be compromised. It is only as the Theanthropos that Christ is the highest value and the highest criterion. We must be completely honest and consistent. If Christ is not the Theanthropos, he is the most insolent impostor, proclaiming himself to be God and Lord. But evangelical historical reality irrefutably shows and proves that Jesus Christ is, in all respects, the perfect Theanthropos. It is, therefore, impossible to be a Christian without faith in Christ as the God-man and in the Church as his theanthropic body, the Church in which he has left his entire miraculous person. The saving and life-giving power of the Church of Christ lies in the God-man's eternal and omnipresent person. Any substitution of the Theanthropos by any man whatever, and any picking and choosing of those aspects of Christianity that suit an individual taste, reduces Christianity to a superficial and helpless humanism. The exceptional importance of Christianity for all mankind consists in its life-giving and irreplaceable theanthropy, which gives purpose to humanity in general, leading it from the darkness of non-being into the light of all-being. Only by its theanthropic power is Christianity the salt of the earth, the salt that protects man from decay and sin and evil. If it is dissipated into sundry humanisms, the salt of Christianity loses its savor and becomes tasteless, fit only to be spilled and trampled underfoot. Any tendency towards the equating of Christianity with the spirit of the times, with ephemeral movements and regimes of particular historical periods, detracts from Christianity the specific value that makes it the unique theanthropic religion in the world. The supreme rule of the orthodox philosophy of society is, we must not adapt Christ the Theanthropos to the spirit of the times. We must adapt the spirit of the times to Christ's eternity, Christ's Theanthropy. Only thus can the Church preserve the life-giving and irreplaceable person of Christ the Theanthropos and remain a theanthropic society in which men live and interact with the help of divine love and righteousness prayer and fasting, meekness and humility, goodness and wisdom, mercy and faith, love for God and our fellow men, and all the other evangelical virtues. According to the theanthropic philosophy of life and the world, man, society, and the state must adjust to the church as the eternal ideal, but the church must never adjust to them, and most especially not be subservient to them. A people has true values only if it lives by the evangelical virtues and embodies theanthropic values in its history. What is valid for a people is also valid for a state. The goal of a people as a whole is the same as that for each individually, to embody evangelical righteousness, love, and holiness, to become a holy people, the people of God that proclaims, through its history, the divine values and virtues. 
We shall be asked, where are the concrete fruits of this theanthropic society? Why has the most radical secularism in history appeared on orthodoxy's own ground? Is there not also an Eastern humanism, Caesaropapism and others, for example? Is the prospering of godless social humanism on the soil of orthodoxy not an example of the inability of orthodoxy to solve the most elementary problems of society? The fact is that this world is steeped in evil and sin. The reduction of everything to man is, in fact, the atmosphere in which sinful human nature, and man in general, wherever he may be, lives and breathes, and towards which it tends. It is not, therefore, surprising that the tides of that sinfulness, as well as the tides of European pseudo-Christian toxins, have in the past and still do wash over Orthodox peoples as well. It is, however, irrefutably true that the Orthodox Church has never dogmatically accepted any form of humanism, whether Caesaropapism or any other ism. By the power of its true and uncorrupted theanthropy and evangelical reality, in its unceasing call to repentance for all that is not of and according to the theanthropos, it has, by the power of the Holy Spirit, preserved the wisdom and purity of its heart and soul. It has thus remained the salt of the world, of man and of society. However, the tragedy of Western Christendom consists precisely in its having attempted, whether by revising the image of the Theanthropos or denying him, to reintroduce the demonized humanism that is characteristic of sinful human nature into the heart of the very Theanthropic organism, the Church, the purpose of which is to liberate from it, and through the Church into all spheres of life, by pronouncing it to be a dogma, a universal dogma. Man's demonized pride, under the auspices of the Church, in that way becomes a dogma of faith without which there is no salvation. It is terrible even to contemplate, let alone say, that in this way the only workshop of salvation and theanthropization in this world is gradually being transformed into a demonized workshop of violence against the conscience and of dehumanization, a workshop of the disfigurement of God and man through the disfigurement of the theanthropos. The Orthodox Church has never declared any toxin, sin, or humanism, or any earthly social system to be a dogma, either through councils or through the body of the universal church. But alas, the West does just that. The most recent example is the Second Vatican Council. In the Orthodox faith, repentance is an essential virtue, and it is constantly calling to repentance. In the West, the pseudo-Christian faith in man does not call to repentance. On the contrary, it clerically compels adherence to its man-destroying, man-worship, its pseudo-Christian humanisms, its infallibilities and heresies, and it blithely considers that these are not matters for repentance. Contemporary godless social humanism is, ideologically and methodologically, engendered and invented by a pseudo-Christian Europe bound by our sinfulness. How did it get onto the soil of orthodoxy? God tests the forbearance of the righteous, visits the sins of the fathers on the children, 
and confirms the strength of his church by leading it through fire and water. According to the words of Macarius of Egypt, wise in God, this is the only path of true Christianity. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there follows, as a shadow, persecution and strife. It is necessary that the truth be persecuted. What are the fruits of theanthropic society? The saints, the martyrs, the confessors. This is its goal and its purpose, and is also the proof of its indestructible strength. Not the books or libraries, systems and cities that exist today and are gone tomorrow. Various pseudo-Christian humanisms fill the world with books, but orthodoxy fills it with saints. Thousands and hundreds of thousands, millions of martyrs and new martyrs who have perished for the orthodox faith. These are the fruits of theanthropic society. Hence, the famous Francois Mauriac, a Roman Catholic, sees on the dark horizon of the contemporary world that is sinking more and more into the darkness of European soul-destroying man-worship, one single bright point that gives hope for the future of the world, the Orthodox faith, washed by the blood of martyrs and new martyrs. And in the West, they neither knew the church, the way, nor the solution for hopelessness. Everything is mired in soul-destroying idolatry, pleasure-seeking, narcissism, and vice. This is the reason for the renaissance of paganism in Europe. False Christs, false gods, have swamped Europe and are exported from there to all the markets of the world with the purpose of destroying man's soul, that unique and precious possession of man in all the worlds, and thereby to make the existence of true society impossible. In writing this, we are not writing either the history of Europe of its virtues and faults, or the history of the European pseudo-churches. We are simply setting forth the entirety of their ontology, penetrating to the heart of European conceit, its demonic underground, where its dark sources lie and with whose waters it threatens to poison the world. This is no passing of judgment on Europe, but a wholehearted and prayerful call to the only way to salvation through repentance. All European humanisms, from the most primitive to the most subtle, from fetishism to papism, are based on faith in man, man in his given psycho-physical and historical makeup. In fact, the essence of every humanism is man, homo. Reduced to its ontology, every humanism is simply hominism, homo hominis. Man is the highest, the supreme value and criterion. Man is the measure of all beings and things. That is, every humanism and every hominism. Hence, all humanisms, all hominisms, are, in the last instance, of atheistic pagan origin. All European humanisms, those of the pre-Renaissance, then the Renaissance and further Protestant, philosophical, religious, social, scientific, cultural, and political, have worked consciously and unconsciously but incessantly on one thing, to substitute faith in man for faith in the God-man, to substitute the gospel according to man for the gospel according to the God-man, 
to substitute philosophy according to man for philosophy according to the God-man, to substitute culture according to man for culture according to the God-man, in brief, to substitute life according to man for life according to the God-man. And so on for centuries, until the last century, in 1870, at the First Vatican Council, they all converged in the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope. Since then, this dogma has become the universal dogma of papism. For this reason, the inviolability and inalterability of this dogma has been so skillfully and persistently defended in our day at the Second Vatican Council. This dogma is of the most epochal importance for the whole destiny of Europe, and firstly for its apocalypse, which has already begun. With this dogma, all European humanisms have reached their ideal and their idol. Man is pronounced to be the supreme deity, the universal deity. The European pantheon has acquired its own, its very own, Zeus. Sincerity is the mouthpiece of truth. The dogma of the infallibility of the Pope, a man, is but a renaissance of atheism and paganism, the renaissance of atheistic axiology and criteriology. But it must be said, atheistic humanism, especially in its Hellenic expression, was given doctrinal form by the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope. The supreme value and standard of Hellenic culture, civilization, poetry, philosophy, art, politics, and science was dogmatized. What does all this add up to? Dogmatized agnosticism, and thereby the dogmatized autarky of European man, so long desired by all European humanisms. The dogma of the infallibility of the Pope is a Nietzschean affirmation of the entire creation of European humanistic man, affirmation of his culture and civilization. And these are predominantly atheistic and pagan with respect to their goals and their methods. The God-man's good news and his commandment are, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. European humanistic culture and civilization have, however, pronounced all sorts of other things to be the goals of man's existence and the methods of his action. The God-man is man's only savior from sin, death, and the devil. He alone renews. He alone gives immortality, resurrection, and ascension. He alone has eternity and the deification and theanthropizing of man and all worlds in his gift, and he prescribes explicitly and perfectly clearly, the universal goal of man's being and life, to become perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. What has European humanistic man not established and codified as the goal of man's being? The evangelical truth is irrefutable. The whole world lieth in wickedness, even after the God-man's ascesis in our earthly world. Moreover, According to the Holy Apostle Paul, the devil is the god of this world. Between such a world that willingly lieth in wickedness and the follower of the God-man, there is no compromise. A follower of the God-man cannot compromise at the expense of evangelical truth with a humanistic man who justifies and dogmatizes all these things. 
This is the ultimately faithful dilemma, the God-man or man. Humanistic man appears and acts autarkically in all respects, as the supreme value and the supreme standard. There is no place for the God-man here. For this reason, in the humanistic kingdom, the place of Christ, the God-man, is taken by Vicarious Christi, Christ's deputy, and the God-man is banished to heaven. This is surely a kind of de-incarnation of Christ, the God-man. By the appropriating, through the dogma of infallibility, of all the power and rights belonging solely to Christ, the God-man, the Pope, a man, has in fact, by this act, proclaimed himself a church within the Papist church, and has become all-powerful in it. He has become his own version of the upholder of all things. For this reason, the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope has become the universal dogma of papism. The Pope cannot give it up at any price, as long as he is the Pope of humanistic papism. There are three principal falls in human history, those of Adam, of Judas, and of the Pope. The essence of a fall into sin is always the same. The wish to become good, to become perfect, by one's own efforts. The wish to become a god by oneself. But by this, man has made himself equal with the devil, who also wanted to become a god by himself and so supplant God. In his arrogance, he suddenly became the devil, completely alienated from God and completely opposed to him. In this arrogant self-deception lies the essence of sin, the ultimate sin. In this lies the essence of the devil himself, the ultimate devil, Satan. It is nothing but the desire to retain one's nature, wanting nothing but oneself. The devil is what he is because he will not have God in him. He wants to be always alone, always all in himself, totally for himself, always hermetically close to God and all that is divine. What is this, then? Selfishness and narcissism embraced for all eternity. Such is also, in essence, humanistic man. He dwells in himself, by himself and for himself. He is always arrogantly closed towards God. Every humanism, every hominism, is contained in it. The pinnacle of demonized humanism is to wish to become good by evil means, to become a god with the devil's help. Hence, the devil's promise to our forebears in Eden to be as gods through him. Our God, who so supremely loves mankind, has created man as a potential god-man, to build himself up by God into a God-man on the foundation of the divine image in his being. Man has, though, by his own free choice, set out through sin into sinlessness, through the devil towards God. That way, man would have surely become a species of devil if God, according to his immeasurable love for mankind and his great mercy, had not intervened by becoming man, the God-man, and leading man towards himself, he brought him, by the church, his body, into the ascesis of theanthropization through the holy mysteries and the holy virtues. He thus made it possible for man to grow unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In this way, 
man achieves his divine calling to become, of his free will, a God-man by grace. The Pope's fall consists in the desire to supplant the God-man by man. In our human world, according to the words of the holy discerner of mysteries, John of Damascus, the Theotropos alone is the only new thing under the sun, eternally new, through his theanthropic person, his theanthropic ascesis, and his theanthropic body, the church. Only in the Theanthropos is man made new, ever and eternally new, in all his theanthropic experiences along the way to salvation, sanctification, transfiguration, deification, and theanthropization. Everything in this world grows old and dies. Only a theanthropized man, of one body with Christ, does not grow old and die. He has, through the God-man, been churched, for he has become a living, organic part of the holy and eternal theanthropic body of Christ, the Church, in which he develops and is given unceasing growth with the increase of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This means that he grows and develops endlessly and infinitely towards the godlike dimensions of divine endlessness and infinity given to the whole of humanity by the thrice holy Lord when he created man in his own image. Christ the Theanthropos is so exceptionally new, exceptionally one and unique, that he is, in fact, that truth that came by him and remained through him in our human world. Until his advent and in his absence, both now and always, it seems as if truth has no existence, and indeed it has none, for the theanthropic hypostasis is alone the truth. I am the truth. Man has no truth without the God-man, for man does not exist without the God-man. Everything is new in and from the theanthropos, firstly he himself, and then salvation, the teaching on salvation and the method of salvation. This theanthropic good news is unique in mankind by its novelty, the separating of sin from the sinner, the killing of sin and the saving of the sinner, the non-equating of the sinner with the sin, the not killing of the sinner because of his sin, but the saving of him from it. A moving illustration of this is the woman caught in adultery the all-merciful Savior, separating her sin from her godlike being. Condemn the sin, but pardon the sinner. Neither do I condemn thee. Go, and sin no more. This is the dogmatized method of orthodoxy in saving sinners from sin, the method of holy tradition wisely and devoutly elaborated and legalized by the holy fathers of the Orthodox Church. It was expressed in inspired words by St. Simeon the New Theologian, Good deeds not done in a good way are not good. In the light of this holy evangelical tradition and orthodoxy, it is an anti-evangelical and anti-Christian horror to kill a sinner because of his sin. No inquisition can be pronounced holy. In the last instance, all humanisms kill sinners because of sin destroying man along with his sin. This is because they reject the Theanthropos, in whom is man's only salvation from sin, death, and the devil. 
He who is not for the Theanthropos is, by this very fact, against man. He is, furthermore, man's murderer and himself a suicide. He leaves man helpless before the mercilessness of sin, death, and the devil, from which only the Theanthropos, and no one else under heaven, can save. By treating the sinner in this way, humanistic man inevitably commits suicide. He kills his own soul and surrenders himself to hell for eternal companionship with the devil, that murderer from the beginning. Throughout all this, the monstrous Jesuito-humanistic dogma that the ends justify the means exercises its absolute rule. What is it that the God-man gives to man that no one else can give? Victory over death, sin and the devil, eternal life, truth, righteousness, goodness, love and joy, the fullness of the Godhead and the divine perfections. Apostolically said, the God-man gives men what eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Indeed, he alone, the wondrous God-man, is therefore the one thing needful to man in all his worlds and in all his lives. The God-man alone is, therefore, entitled to ask from men what no one else has dared to ask, that every man love him more than his parents, his brothers, sisters, children, friends, the earth or the angels, more than anyone or anything in all the worlds, both visible and invisible. The Second Vatican Council was a rebirth of all European humanisms, a renaissance of corpses. Ever since the God-man's coming to this earthly world, every humanism has been a corpse. This is all so because the Council stubbornly upheld the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope, a man. From the standpoint of the eternally living God-man, the historical Lord Jesus, all humanisms are like criminal utopias, for, in the name of man, they kill and annihilate man in his psychophysical being. They are all doing the same insanely tragic thing. They strain away a mosquito and swallow a camel. This was dogmatized by the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope. It is all so terrible, because the very dogma of the infallibility of a man is nothing other than a dreadful requiem for every humanism, from the Vatican's dogmatized proclamation to Sartre's satanic definition. All the gods in the European humanistic pantheon, headed by Zeus, are dead. They are dead until there grows in their shriveled hearts a self-denying repentance, with all the lightnings and torments of Golgotha, with their resurrection earthquakes and transfigurations, with their fruitful storms and ascensions. And then, then, there will be no end to their praise of the ever-life-giving and miraculous Theanthropos, indeed the only lover of mankind, the only Philanthropos in all worlds. What is the core of the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope, a man? The de-theanthropizing of man. All the humanisms are working on it, even the religious ones. They all return man to atheism, to paganism, to a twofold death, spiritual and physical. 
by distancing itself from the God-man, every humanism gradually turns into nihilism. The present breakdown of all humanisms, headed by papism, which is both an indirect and a direct, an involuntary and a voluntary, parent of all European humanisms, illustrates this. The catastrophic breakdown of papism lies in the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope. This dogma is the pinnacle of nihilism. European man has thereby, in a dogmatically determined way, proclaimed the dogma of the autarky of European man, and has thus finally revealed that he does not need the God-man, that there is no place on earth for him. Vicarius Christi replaces him completely. Every European humanism lives by this dogma, upholds it, and stubbornly confesses it. All the humanisms of European man are essentially an unceasing rebellion against Christ the God-man. A harmful reevaluation of all values goes on in many ways. The God-man is everywhere replaced by man. European humanistic man is being enthroned on all Europe's thrones. Hence, there is not only one Vicarius Christi, but an infinite number of them, only in different vesture. Man in general has ultimately been pronounced infallible by the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope. Hence, there are an infinite number of popes throughout Europe, both in the Vatican and in Protestantism. There is no substantial difference between them, for papism was the first Protestantism, according to the words of the truth-discerning Komiakov. Infallibility is a natural theanthropic characteristic and function of the Church as the theanthropic body of Christ, whose eternal head is the truth, the supreme truth, second person of the Holy Trinity, the Theanthropos Jesus Christ. By the dogma of infallibility, the Pope was, in fact, proclaimed to be a church, and he, a man, took the place of the God-man. This was the final triumph of humanism. It was also, though, the second death of papism, and through it, of every humanism. But according to the true Church of Christ, that has existed since the advent of Christ the Theanthropos into the world as his theanthropic body. The dogma of the infallibility of the Pope is not only a heresy, but the ultimate heresy. No other heresy has so radically and so comprehensively risen against Christ the Theanthropos and his Church as Papism has, through the dogma of the infallibility of the Pope, a man. This is undoubtedly the heresy above all heresies. It is the horror above all horrors. It is an unseen rebellion against Christ the God-man. It is, alas, the most dreadful banishment of the Lord Christ from the earth. It is the repeated betrayal of Christ, the repeated crucifixion of the Lord Christ, not only on a wooden cross this time, but on the golden cross of papist humanism. All this is hell thrice over for the wretched earthly being called man. Is there any way out of these innumerable humanistic hells? Is there resurrection for these innumerable European graves? Is there a cure? For these innumerable deadly diseases. There is, oh there is, repentance. This is the deathless good news of the God-man's eternal gospel. Repentance, 
to the acknowledging of the truth. There is no other way to believe the God-man's saving gospel. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Repentance before the God-man is the only cure for every sin, the only complete cure for all sins, even the universal sin. There is no doubt that repentance is the cure even for this ultimate sin of papism contained in the arrogant dogma of the infallibility of the Pope. Consequently, it is undoubtedly the cure for each particular humanism and for all humanisms in general. Yes, indeed, infallible European humanistic man can be saved from his precious sin of infallibility only by wholehearted and completely transforming repentance before the miraculous, all-merciful, and all-meek Lord Jesus Christ, the Theanthropos. He is indeed the only Savior of mankind from every sin, from every evil, every hell, every humanistic rationalism, and from every sin that the human imagination can dream up. For these reasons, all the holy and God-bearing fathers of all seven holy ecumenical councils, in their godly wisdom, sum up all the problems within the Church in the problem of the person of Christ the Theanthropos as the greatest and only supreme treasure for every human being in this or any other of God's worlds. Yes, for them Christ the Theanthropos is everything in all human worlds, the Christological problem is their ultimate problem. For them, Christ the Theanthropos is the one and only value in Christ's church in all worlds. Their constant and immortal motto is, All for Christ, for Christ and for nothing else. And all around this holy motto of theirs resounds their good news that cannot be silenced. Not humanism, but theo-humanism. Not man, but the God-man. Christ before all and above all. Ecumenism is a collective name for pseudo-Christianities, for the pseudo-churches of Western Europe. All European humanisms, headed by papism, have given it their wholehearted support. And all these pseudo-Christianities, all these pseudo-churches, are nothing other than a collection of heresies. Their common evangelical name is the ultimate heresy. Why? Because through the course of history, diverse heresies have negated or distorted certain characteristics of the Theanthropos, the Lord Christ, and these European heresies leave the Theanthropos in his entirety on one side and put European man in his place. There is, in fact, no substantial difference between Papism, Protestantism, Ecumenism, and the other sects whose name is Legion. Orthodox dogma, the universal dogma of the Church, has been rejected and replaced by the Latin heretical and universal dogma of the primacy and later the infallibility of the Pope, a man. This universal heresy has engendered other heresies, the filioque, the removal of the epiclesis, the introduction of material grace, unleavened bread, purgatory, a repository of surplus deeds, a mechanical teaching on salvation, and thereby a mechanical teaching on life, on papocentrism, on the Holy Inquisition, indulgences, the killing of sinners because of their sin, Jesuitics, scholastics, casuistics, 
monarchistics, social humanism, and so forth. Protestantism, the dearest and most loyal child of papism, blunders from heresy to heresy through its rationalist scholasticism, constantly drowning in diverse poisons of its heretical fallacies. In all this, papist arrogance and infallible insanity hold absolute sway and ravage the souls of their adherents. In principle, every Protestant is an independent pope, an infallible pope, in all matters of faith. This inevitably leads from one spiritual death to another, and there is no end to this dying, for man's spiritual deaths are innumerable. This being the situation, papo-Protestant ecumenism, with its pseudo-church and its pseudo-Christianity, has no way out of its death and torments without wholehearted repentance before the Theanthropos, the Lord Christ, and His Orthodox Church. Repentance is the cure for every sin, a cure given by the only lover of mankind to the godlike human being. Without repentance and entry into the true Church of Christ, it is unnatural and nonsensical to speak of some sort of unification of the churches, about the dialogue of love, about intercommunion. The most important thing is, above all, to become part of the theanthropic body of Christ's church, and thereby become a partaker in the soul of the church, in the Holy Spirit, and an heir to the immortal, divine treasures that the Theanthropos gives. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, of St. Eustine of Chile, O Lord Jesus Christ our God, have mercy on us. Amen.